Do you ever have that negative voice in the back of your head? You know, the one that may nag you when you look at yourself in the mirror or at work or in your relationships that doubts who you are, your goals, your accomplishments, that has you believing that you're not good enough. This experience is an attack of that inner voice that's also known as your inner critic. It can evoke feelings of being bad, wrong, inadequate, worthless, or guilty. Welcome to the world of your inner critic. That's what we're going to talk about today. But hello, and welcome to Leading Woman in Tech. Welcome back to another episode of the show. If you are with us on YouTube, welcome. This is the first episode of the show going live on YouTube. If you're listening in your favorite podcast player and you'd like to say hi with a wave, hello, uh, come and listen to us on YouTube. Link is in the show notes for the next couple of weeks in case you want to move platform. Although we would welcome you on any platform, of course, but I would love to see your face. Obviously, you'll be seeing my face more than I'll be seeing yours, but come and say hello. The YouTube handle for my channel is Tony Collis, of course. And today we're talking all about our inner critic, this inner critic that can be destructive and greatly affect our mental health. There are ways to help tame our inner critic, but we need to understand where it shows up and how it can manifest in order to help quiet that voice. Before we dig into that, though, I want to dig into the relationship between imposter syndrome and our inner critic. Many of us think that they are one and the same. They aren't. Imposter syndrome is a bigger beast. Our inner critic and that manifestation of how that shows up to second guess and wonder if we've done the right thing is a very important part of imposter syndrome, but it's one part. True, self-criticality is a core component of why we feel like imposters and we think we don't belong, why we don't raise our voice at meetings, why we sit there and say, I shouldn't put myself forward for that. But imposter syndrome is broader. It includes a sense of failing to belong and not believing that we are well qualified. Maybe you feel you have to do everything yourself. That's called the superwoman imposter or superman imposter. I didn't coin the phrase. Or maybe you found everything relatively easy up until this point in your life and now you're holding yourself back because it shouldn't be this hard. That's the natural genius imposter. I could go on, but if you want to learn more about the types of imposter syndrome and the surprising ways it shows up for us in our own behavior, and also something I'm very passionate about, how it shows up in very surprising ways and those around you, maybe as a leader, how your team is behaving. Sometimes imposter syndrome makes people angry. Then do check out my free mini course on imposter syndrome, Ditch the Self-Doubt, Ditching Self-Doubt after all. You can register for free at tonycollis.com forward slash DTSD. Link is in the show notes, wherever you're getting this. If it's on YouTube, it's down below. (laughs) Get immediate access to that training as soon as you sign up and it's completely free. But today I want to be talking about our inner critic. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Imposter syndrome really shows up in every aspect of our lives and manifests as people-pleasing, second-guessing, trying to do everything ourselves, not trusting others, and my favorite, perfectionism. I'm a recovering perfectionist. I look far from being perfect these days in terms of the things I throw at that. I have typos everywhere. (laughs) I'm very much like, let's just give this a go. 
Uh, but I actually had massive barriers to taking action when I was younger because of perfectionism. And I still feel that urge from time to time. But our inner critical voice is one part of what feeds imposter syndrome. It is part of imposter syndrome. It is not one and the same. And I really wanted to get that clear before we dive in. Because I want to dig into what is going on with our inner critical voice, how we developed it. We weren't born with it, surely, were we? So how did it develop such a destructive way of thinking? We're just going to put imposter syndrome to one side. As I said, if you're interested, go check out my free course on that. And for right now, today, just focus on that inner critical voice. Chances are our inner critic started when we were young, came from external sources in our lives. Every single one of us has this. It isn't that you had bad parents or anything like that. But every single experience you have as a child forms who you are as an adult. So the comments your parents make, your teachers, your siblings, your friends, your caregivers, they create a soundtrack of our lives that we internalize, the good and the critical. Something that was a very well-intentioned comment that was critical, but just landed in the wrong way can linger for the rest of our lives. We've all got stories like that. It's actually why I think everybody should have therapy, even if you had the most amazing childhood. I think the human condition, we did not evolve to not have the inner critic. In fact, quite the contrary, evolution is all about procreation. And we procreate more if we're more critical because we stay still, we don't go anywhere. It's actually better for procreation. So there has been no favoritism in evolution to do away with this, quite the contrary. And so the more we're exposed to criticism and rejection, the louder this soundtrack plays in our minds, and it turns into this snowball. I mean, I truly think my parents were rock stars. I think my mum and dad did an amazing job. Mum, I know you sometimes listen to the show. Love you so much. You're an amazing mother. Uh, and yet my imposter syndrome has been sky high. It's not anymore. I still have imposter syndrome and a strong inner critic. But what I've learned to do, which I like to do with all of you, and I hope this podcast goes some way to doing that, is I've now got the toolkit to recognize when it kicks in and do something about it. And I want that for every single one of you. As leaders, we need to be aware of our inner critic, especially as leaders, because how it shows up in the workplace dictates how we behave to those around us. Somebody who's got extreme imposter syndrome becomes untrustworthy, believe it or not. Somebody who's got an inner critic stops themselves raising their voice, doesn't defend their team to their peers. And that's a pretty extreme form, but I've seen it happen far more than it should do. A lot of us think that we're better at defending other people's ideas than our own. But part of what you've got to do as a leader is own your team's ideas. Be part of that. And as soon as we take that step, which I coach people through, like it's not theirs and yours, it's ours. And really, really owning it, the good, the bad and the ugly. We do that and quite often the inner critic flares back up again and we stop discussing our team stuff because we treat it as our own, which we want to, but then the inner critic gets in our way. So we hear this voice after a big meeting. We are ahead of a presentation. Oh my gosh, I'm going to do a terrible job. After an awkward conversation with a client or teammate, or questioning how we even got to where we are despite our shortcomings. That is a classic. I don't belong here. It's imperative that we take control and manage our inner critical voice. As team members, we can't operate effectively in a team with this because it affects our productivity. We have low motivation. It causes conflict with others. I think it massively raises our stress response. And when we have high stress, everything else diminishes. And everything we do is less good. I remember when I was doing my PhD many, many moons ago, 
my inner critic was so strong. I was terrified to turn in a report I had to write. I think it took me six months because my advisor wasn't going to nag me. That's not what happens in a PhD. PhD is stressful because nobody else has a vested interest in you finishing other than you. Your advisor cares a little bit, but not that much. They care to the extent that they get papers published out of it and that their reputation is not damaged if you never finish, right? That's not good for them. But to some extent, other than those things, they don't really care. It's down to you. And I was so terrified of my work, the standard of work I had and the response I would get. I put off turning in this report for six months, wasted so much time and energy. Imagine what that can do in the workplace. That's why I think it's a really powerful thing to understand this in your team as well. Sometimes low performance is almost entirely imposter syndrome related with a very, very loud inner critic. Time and energy get wasted because we're entertaining this critical inner voice, these unproductive interactions, which will end up creating an environment that's uncomfortable, judgmental towards ourselves. Sometimes we're the least inclusive people of our own inclusion, if you see what I mean. We stop including ourselves in things. We become uninclusive to ourselves because of our inner critic. And in extreme cases, actually, I don't think it is that extreme, but extreme cases, one could argue, it affects the bottom line of the company. I think imposter syndrome is actually incredibly prevalent in the tech sector. I think the competition we have in tech, I think the way we treat each other, the hopefully dying, but still sadly far more prevalent than it should be, bro culture, I think really amplifies imposter syndrome. I have a theory, I nobody I know of is looking at this, but maybe they should. I have a theory that a lot of the bro culture comes about because of a male imposter syndrome. <laughs> and it's like the amplification of the anti in a critic saying, I'm not going to give in to that. And it causes this magnification of I'm okay, I'm doing okay, which creates bro culture. And we know that's not good for business. That it data after data after data point demonstrates bro culture is bad for business. So I think there are many things going on here, but the worst thing is if we don't tackle this in ourselves, it affects our careers. If we don't tackle this in our team, and as I said, it can show up in very interesting ways, it affects the bottom line of our team and therefore the ultimately the whole entire organization. I don't want your team being the one that's unproductive. I don't want your headcount being the one that's cut. However, being able to manage our inner critic is an incredibly hard skill and it's even harder to do it in such a way that you're demonstrating this to your team members. You've got to learn how to regulate your emotions and your reactions. You've got to do this in such a way that you make an environment that is safe for your team members, it's psychological safety. There's a whole load of executive presence coming in that is regulating your emotions and reactions, building your awareness, your self-awareness, your awareness of the room, the awareness on the individuals, the business awareness. There's so many pieces to this, such a lot of executive presence to really help you tackle your inner critic. I think it's one of the reasons I ended up doing the work I now do because I had to do this work on myself because my imposter syndrome was so crippling. I mean, it was pretty much devastating to me. And I was getting on stage talking about women in supercomputing and terrified of messing up and the fact that I was doing an awful job, even though people were praising me left, right, and center. I just could not believe it. And I had to do this work. And when I did this work, I realized what an impact it made on the rest of the people around me, my team, because I started seeing it in them as well and helping them through it, coaching them through it, on my leadership skills, on other people's leadership skills. And it snowballed from there. I was like, I did better strategy. 
I understood the organizational facets better and like just it turned into a career of coaching and now executive coaching and strategy development all the things I now do I could argue it started with me working on my own inner critic and imposter syndrome because it was so damaging to my own career path and my own ability to function some could argue that our inner critic is trying to help us perform our best make better choices hold off taking rash action and I just want to tackle that one before I go any further because I truly do not agree with that (laughs) I fundamentally believe you know I'm colored by my own experience here but I fundamentally believe that inner critics add more stress they reduce motivation they diminish our chances of success we're triggered into this self-protection mechanism like I'm just going to stay here I'm going to hold back bring those insecurities together Um, we trust ourselves less and we start projecting it on others that's a really damaging thing about this is our projection of our inner critics in a dialogue onto others and what they must be thinking I always say to my clients are you a mind reader are you sure that's what they're possibly thinking (laughs) because if you're a mind reader you can make a lot of money because I don't know anybody else that can do it and we we walk around with this all the time we start walking around with our heart on our sleeves which as much as I want you all to be very aware of your emotions there's a difference between that and weeping externally because you don't have good control and compassion for yourself you're not healing you're not moving forward you're just exposed it's like visceral the key reason why I don't think that our inner critic is helpful whereas some people would argue it is is because I don't believe the human brain is rational there's a lot of people that would agree with me on that and I think a lot of scientists who study the human brain say we're completely illogical actually scientists in particular and I you know I'm a physicist by training originally (laughs) We love to think that we're rational. We're really not. We are not rational creatures. And so (laughs) this idea that we can logic our way through our inner critic is flawed. So our logical self-awareness piece thinks that we can rationally have our inner critic and it's helping us to improve. It's not stopping us. It's not stifling us. It is really there as a tool to make us do better. But if you accept that we're not rational, then you can see that actually what it's doing is it stops us in our tracks. It stops us doing our best work. It stops us taking action and leaves us thinking about the past. And this is the key one. We spend a lot of energy on the past and what's happened instead of right here, right now, and how what we do right now is going to help with the future. I think that's one of the key things. If you're finding yourself thinking about the past, I did this. Oh my God, how did that work out? or you're saying, I can't do this right now because I'm scared of the future, then there's there's something there that's really hindering your progress. What we want is a healthy reflection of, I learned this from the past, here's how I'm going to update what I do, rather than that inaction. Or I need this in the future, so here's what I'm going to do to make sure that happens. When we're frozen in action, like not turning in a report for six months, it's really debilitating and that's what we want to be watching out for that's why i would argue that our inner critic is not going to help us perform having said that i've just explained why it's a bad thing what i do not want is for you to just be like oh my god there's in a critical voice i hate it trying to fight it off trying to fight off that critical voice is going to create an adversarial relationship with it where you feel that you've got to protect yourself 
because what happens when we get that tension it's because it's who we are this is part of who we are you've got to accept that this is who you are and at the same time as we want to stop it controlling us but if you don't accept it's who you are and you like I'm a bad human I did this all the time I used to get stressed about how much this stopped me doing things our stress levels just ratchet up and I actually think this was a major source of my anxiety early in my life I'm happy to say I've dealt with a lot of my anxiety. It took me a very long time to realize I was an anxious person. I've never had a panic attack. I've never been diagnosed with anxiety, but I would sit there ruminating all of the time. I think a large part of it was my inner critic controlling me and causing me not to take action. That caused one level of anxiety, raised my stress levels. And the next level was, oh my gosh, I'm a bad person because this is controlling me. And it just becomes self-reinforcing over and over and over again the voice then grows stronger and louder and ultimately if you're pushing it away it will ultimately win and that fuels the fire even more as you're trying to put it out it's just getting bigger and bigger so instead of being at odds with our inner critic I want you to learn how to think differently about it how to give it space but then allow it to quiet down rather than pushing it away So how do we do this? Well, the first thing is to notice that your inner critic is there and tune into it. I know that sounds counterproductive. I don't know if you've heard me talk about fears before. I talk about this a lot in my coaching sessions. Everybody in Lit Up Leader Academy has heard me say this. One of the problems with fear, one of the reasons we don't take action is, well, we're scared of something. We tend not to look at that fear. We tend to shy away from it. It's in the corner over there and I don't want to look at it and I'm scared and we push it away. Well, it's in the corner and scared, it gets bigger. It becomes bigger and bigger and more amorphous and becomes out of control. Uh, one of the things I love to do in my coaching sessions, <laughs> oh, these women, they love me. I'm not quite sure why sometimes that we, we do hard things. We bring these fears right up front and center. It's uncomfortable work. But you bring it up front and center and you realize, mm, actually, it's not so bad. This, yeah, there are legitimate things going on here, but... It's not as big as my brain was saying when I just didn't want to examine it, where I was pushing it away. The same is true with your inner critic. I want you to tune into it. I want you to acknowledge it. I want you to say, hey, you're here. Thank you for being here. And just raise your awareness around it. Just, I want you to stop pushing it away and I want you to embrace it. Now, I know that sounds very odd, but stick with me. For a week, You might need to do more, but I think a week is a good amount of time because we don't want this to control us forever. We just want to raise our awareness and embrace what it's trying to tell us. I want you to write down three times a day when your inner critic is coming up. I want you to notice how it feels or what it looks like, what parts sound familiar, and start to get curious about triggers for it. Is it showing up because of particular events, particular people, particular activities? What comes about... I do highly recommend that you have a prompt three times a day, unless you're really, really good at tuning in all day long. Executive presence piece, that one, like how self-aware am I, all that kind of stuff. But what I would love for you to do is just in your calendar, like mid-morning, mid-afternoon, in the evening, what's happened since last time I checked in? Where was my inner critic telling me how I should behave and stuff? And the first couple of times you're like, oh, did anything happen? I'm not sure. The more you ask yourself, the more your unconscious brain is going to be looking out for it during the day and just going to ratchet up your self-awareness. You can use that technique for building your self-awareness in any area. It's a core executive presence technique to raise awareness. As you're able to pinpoint how your inner critic is showing up, it's time to then recognize how often it shows up. 
So you'll get a lot of data if you do this for a week. The first day you might not get very much, but it will build quite quickly. And you're going to start categorize when it comes up. Are there particular people, situations, activities, places that get you triggered? Ask yourself questions about what is this inner critic wanting from me? What does it want to know? What does it want me to do? Because once you've got that data, you can then make a plan of action. I'm a big planner. (laughs) But I want you to create a trigger plan. So if you know how, why, and when your inner critic is likely to show up, you can have a trigger action plan that's going to tackle it. This plan could include removing the trigger when you can. For example, can you no longer participate in an activity or remove a person from your life? I'm a big believer in remove, reduce, and mitigate. (laughs) You could use that for almost everything we do, right? Remove, reduce, mitigate. The first one is, is that something you just don't need in your life? Now, if it's your job, you probably do need it. But one of the reasons I want you to have a think about this is I think sometimes when we're trying to reduce how much something is damaging us, in this case, the inner critic, we want to just reduce how much we're exposed to until we've got a better handle on it. Same with stress, right? You can have two people exposed to the same amount of stress. One person will deal better than the other. Why? Well, there's a lot of debate going on in psychologists around why that happens. But one of the things is it does change over our lives, changes on exposure, but we can build toolkits to do this. But to do that, you need to get things under control. The same applies with your inner critic. If you're constantly bombarded by your inner critic, it's going to be much harder to do the work to give your brain some breathing space so you can learn some new skills in order to reduce its impact on you. So where possible, I want you to remove triggers. It might not be that possible, but you might be able to. I want you to reduce how many you get. And I want you to have mitigation. That's really your action plan, right? Mitigating your triggers requires you to learn to pause when you start to notice. So that week of knowledge building, what will happen in that week is... Over the week's time, every time, three times a day that you're checking in, your brain, as I said, is going to unconsciously start to look out for inner critic and the triggers, all the things, the patterns you're recognizing. The more you do that, the more you're going to find that you notice in that moment. You want to notice as soon as it starts bubbling up. And if you do this for a week, maybe two, you're definitely going to get to the point where you're in that moment and it just ping and you're like, oh yeah, thank you brain, inner critic. When that happens, I want you to have a go-to routine. Here's my favorite routine. Take a minute to pause. You might not be able to get a whole minute. Five seconds might be enough. But I want you to take a moment, pause, slow down your thinking and acknowledge that those thoughts are there. This is key. You have to acknowledge that these are there and that they're valid to some extent. (laughs) They're they're not completely valid, but there's an element in there that your brain is like, there's something here. And so... I want you to acknowledge your thoughts instead of dwelling on them and letting them consume you. You're going to practice reframing what comes up. Thank you for doing this. But, you know, thank you, brain. I need to move on from this. So instead of fully entertaining an inner critic voice, try talking to your inner critic in the third person. You can name it or you can say you. For example, if you notice your inner critic while you're trying to reach a tight deadline and it's saying there's no way you're going to be able to get this done try to reframe it using the third person by saying Suzanne you can do this not only does this change the way you talk to yourself such that you reduce your anxiety but it also helps pump you up and empower you 
You will learn to coach yourself through these situations. I'm a big believer in learning how to self-coach. Now, there's not, <laughs> I still think coaching is very powerful, but what I always aim to do is a lot of the foundations, this kind of work that we talk about in the podcast is kind of the foundations of great leadership. I want you to become embedded in doing this. And then the coaching that you're welcome to come join me and do in Lit Up Leisure Academy, but the coaching we do is then taking you to that next level. But if we don't have these foundations in place, we need to get these in place first. But I want you to learn how to self-coach yourself through these situations instead of being critical. You're going to learn how to turn that inner critical voice soundtrack way, way down. And it is noticing it, mitigating it by having a go-to plan. Sometimes simply breathing and recognizing and saying, I can do this. Just acknowledging and saying, actually, you know what I can is a really great and powerful tool. And it just, it is part of the executive presence toolkit. This applies to almost every executive presence challenge, irrespective of if it's got anything to do with our inner critic or imposter syndrome. But this notice, pause and reframe is so incredibly powerful, whether you're dealing with difficult people who are irritating you, whether you're stressed about a deadline or whether it's your inner critic raising its ugly head. This is just so powerful. Notice, pause, reframe. I cannot tell you that enough. If you can do that, you will instantly become a better leader. I promise you. There's so much more I could talk to you about on this, but if you want to go deeper on imposter syndrome, then I would encourage you to go check out that free course I mentioned at the beginning of the show, which tackles a lot more than this and will help you develop your own tailored toolkit for getting unstuck across the spectrum of imposter syndrome. You'll learn all the different types of imposter syndrome and also how it shows up for your team. Find that at tonycollis.com forward slash DTSD for ditch the self-doubt. But as always, I want to leave you with one final mindset tip. Recognize that your inner critic is trying to keep you safe, but it's misguided. It comes from a place in evolution where we needed to second guess doing new things because that would mean putting us at risk of leaving our clan, falling off a cliff or getting eaten by a tiger. Today, we don't have that world. We don't live in such a place, but we need to recognize what it is trying to do. This inner critic is trying to keep us safe. It is trying to stop us getting eaten. It is trying to make sure we are well fed. It is there because evolution said, "Mm, procreation is the most important thing. Acknowledge it. If you don't acknowledge it, you can't release it. Acknowledge them, release the anxiety so you can move forward. Your brain is a wonderful thing. So I want you to be kind to it. I want you to be super kind to yourself on this instead of frustrated. I certainly reached the point with my imposter syndrome where I was frustrated by it. I was angry at it. I was like, this is holding me up. It's painful. Why am I letting this get to me? Well, I felt that way. I couldn't tackle it. I want you to learn to be kind to yourself. This kindness is the most powerful way to let go of any negative aspect of ourselves because frustration rarely gets us anywhere other than backwards. I hope you found this powerful today. I hope you've learned a little bit about your inner critic and taming it. Um, I would love to work with you further. Don't forget that you can always check out all this work and everything we do inside Lit Up Leadership Academy. We would love to welcome you in there and join this amazing community of women that we are building to change the face of the technology industry by leveling up every woman that I meet for the better. Until next time, remember, stay on your tech leadership game, follow your dreams, because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech.
If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast.